Greetings from another distant culture, the college campus. Um, <laughs> RUF campus ministers are part missionary because we go to a totally different culture where they speak a totally different language and trying to figure out who these people are so that we can uh, show them the beauty of the gospel. Uh, we're part church planners uh, and we're part pastors. I meet with students all the time for counseling, discipleship, Bible study, one-on-ones. Uh, and our, we preach every semester uh, a large group series. Our large group meets on Wednesday nights. Uh, this fall, we're going to go through the book of Exodus. But last spring, uh, I did a series on wisdom. Uh, and talking to Ben and Patrick uh, at Presbyterian meetings at generally, General Assembly, uh, here you guys do the same thing right now, uh, that you're in the middle of a series on wisdom. Um, so when they asked if I could fill the pulpit and if I had anything on that series, I was like, you're in luck. Uh, and I gave them a couple options, uh, and they said wisdom for technology would be beneficial. Uh, so a couple things um, just before we dive in. Um, <clears throat> the Bible doesn't say anything about technology. There's technology in the Bible, right? The Israelites are making bricks and mortar in Egypt. Um, David kills Goliath with a sling and a stone. Um, That's technology. Uh, It's a far cry from what we have today. Uh, But the Bible doesn't say anything specifically about technology, whether we're to use it, not use it, all that kind of stuff. Um, But wisdom, as I told my students in the spring, the definition that I kind of came up with and worked with is wisdom is the ability to discern God's will of desire for our lives and circumstances, and the courage and conviction to live it out. Learning how to apply God's will of desire to our lives and circumstances and the courage and conviction to carry it out. So it involves our mind, right? We have to know what God's will of desire is. It involves a little bit of contextualization. How does that apply to my current situation, to to where God has me, to when God has me? And it involves our hearts. It involves the courage and conviction to carry it out. So in in doing this sermon and doing this wisdom for technology, I wanted to give my students, and I want to give you guys an example of of how to put that definition of wisdom into practice for something that the Bible doesn't directly speak to. Uh, I want to talk about technology as well, but kind of give you guys a, a model for how to think through wisdom for any number of topics. Because again, technology is a non-moral issue. It's neither good nor bad, but the way we use it the way we can sometimes depend upon it or put our hope in it, can be. Uh, The verse that I'm taking uh, this morning, uh, this is not going to be a traditional expository sermon where we just sit on one verse and and pick it apart. It's more topical. Uh, The verse is 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12. Uh, Paul writing to the Corinthian church who are abusing their freedom in Christ uh, to do things they ought not to be doing. Uh, Paul writes to them and says, quoting, some people think he's quoting the Corinthians, some people think he's quoting another teacher that they really like. He says, all things are lawful for me, and then Paul responds, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, and then he responds again, but I will not be dominated by anything. Let's pray and ask God's blessing on our time. Heavenly Fathers, we stand here, sit here, uh, attend here this morning, Uh, We are blessed by technology. Uh, I'm blessed by technology that controls the temperature and humidity in a room. Uh, Everyone here is blessed by technology that amplifies my voice, uh, that illuminates the stage. Uh, We're blessed by the technology of a clock in the back that will get angry at me if I go too long. We all drove here this morning. Uh, Technology is all around us and it is a great blessing of your common grace. And yet, so often we use it unquestionably. Uh, we don't examine the ways that we use technology. Father, often we don't recognize what it is doing to us 
and to those around us. So this morning, as we take a step back from our technology and look at it, and look at it in light of your word and your will for us, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, help us to see the good news of the gospel, and help us to view our technology rightly. Do this, we pray, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, again, right off the bat, um, because technology is non-moral, we can't, we can't adopt a posture of, you know, let's use it all or let's use none of it, right? So it, if you have a cell phone and you read your Bible on that, that's great. Pull it out because we're going to look at a lot of text this morning. Um, we're, we're not to be afraid of technology, but we're supposed to use it in a way that honors God. Uh, the, uh, the approach that I'm going to take this morning... Um, if you remember in Genesis 3, the, the fall, when Satan is tempting Eve and Adam is eavesdropping, um, the, the, the phrase that he uses to, to tempt her, to kind of push her over the edge, is you can be like God. You know, she's forgotten that she's already made in his image, but Satan says, if you eat this fruit, you can be like God. And Satan doesn't tempt us with fruit anymore, um, but through technology, and he still whispers that same promise, you can be like God through your technology, through the way that you use it. Uh, for some of us, it is an apple, um, but that's neither here nor there. Um, so, and I think Satan whispers that temptation, you can be like God through three different areas. And these three areas are called the incommunicable attributes of God. Maybe you've heard that, maybe you haven't heard that before. Uh, here's what the incommunicable attributes of God. We're made in God's image, and so we reflect him in our ability to be moral, our ability to relate to other people, to create, to speak. All these things, we reflect God. But there are some things that, some attributes of God that he does not share with us. The, the big three are his omnipotence, his omnipresence, and his omniscience. He can do all things, he can be everywhere, he knows all things. Those are the three things that I think Satan tempts us to try and grab on to what God is like and uses our technology to do that. So kind of working backward from those things, the first thing we're going to talk about is God's will that we work and rest. So God's will of desire for you is that you work and rest, right? This is commandment number four. Commandment 4a, six days you shall labor and do all your work. Commandment 4b, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work. So we are commanded in the fourth commandment to both to work and to rest. And our technology helps and hinders the way that we work and rest. Uh, a couple of anecdotal ways uh, that, that technology helps me to work. Um, the biggest thing for me is it helps me remember tasks and meetings especially meetings, because like I said, I meet with students all the time in coffee shops and restaurants to walk around campus, to play disc golf, or just go for a drive to the grocery store, whatever it is. I meet with students a lot. I meet with other campus ministry leaders in town. I meet with local pastors to help students get plugged into churches. And the first thing I do anytime I schedule a meeting with someone is I put it in my calendar app. Because if I don't, it's not loving to them. If I don't, I'm going to show up at the wrong time or the wrong place or be expecting the wrong person and unprepared for a counseling session when it's just supposed to be us hanging out. And uh, just an aside, I, I'm going to speak about cell phones a lot because that's the technology that I use the most. Um, it's the technology my students use the most. Uh, but it's also the technology that my mother and mother-in-law use the most. 
like they're always on their cell phones. So this is not a millennial thing. Uh, everybody uses cell phones. Everybody uses technology. And whether you put your appointments in the calendar app on your phone or you write them in a date book, um, a day timer, is that the one with like, you can put in a new set of sheets? Um, <laughs> That's technology, right? That, that three-ring binder is technology. The paper to, to take wood pulp and press it and bleach it and dry it and cut it and box it and bind it and ship it so that you can buy it by swiping a credit. Like, all that takes technology, okay? So we all use technology. Don't look down on me because I use a calendar app on my cell phone. Um, but that use of technology helps me to work and helps me love people through my work. Uh, technology helps us in collecting information. It aids us in research. And generally, it makes work go quicker. Um, who owns a dictionary in here? Anybody? Okay, who has opened that dictionary in the last five years? Three years. One year. Six months. Why? Why? Like... Type the word into Google. If you don't know how to spell it, it's okay because autocorrect will take over for you. It, it makes your work so much more efficient. And, and we're able to work from anywhere. So I'm able to do my sermon prep from a coffee shop where I can run into students, from my office at home, from the library on campus. Uh, we can work from anywhere. Technology helps us in our work and it helps us in our rest. Responsible management of our working hours can help us to effectively rest. Music can help us rest. Worship music, hymns, meditation can help us to worship in our times of rest. Uh, for me, one of my favorite ways to rest is in the evenings to make a fire in the fire pit in the front yard and sit out there with my Kindle and read a book. And my Kindle has a nice light on the back of it so that I can see. Uh, it's great. Technology helps me rest. But more often, technology hinders the way that we work and rest. And it does this primarily through distraction. Uh, studies show that we are addicted to distraction, and distraction kills our work. Uh, it takes, when you're interrupted, it takes at least seven, sometimes as many as 25 minutes for you to get back into work mode. So, you know, you're, you're working, you're doing pretty well, and then you think, I should check how stocks are doing, or let me see what people are up to on Facebook, or let me just check the weather real quick. Seven minutes down the drain, maybe as many as 25 Distraction kills our work, it kills our rest. Because part of rest, especially Christian rest, is attentiveness to who God is and what he's doing and has done. And we can't be attentive if we're aimlessly scrolling through Facebook or Instagram. We can't be attentive if the television is always blaring commercials or the, my, my grandparents love the Atlanta Braves. Every time we go to their house, the Atlanta Braves are on. Uh, it's really hard to be attentive and present with them because they're always pulled by whoever their pitcher is these days. The, the internet technology sucks away our time uh, because we get on and, you know, I get on to check the weather and then 30 minutes later, I'm like, I've watched five YouTube videos in a row about like how to fix a toilet and none of my toilets are broken. <laughs> like, technology just does that. We wake up and it's like we, we, we come to and we don't know what has happened with our time. We all know what this is like. Uh, another distraction that it gives is that it blurs the lines between work and rest. So when we're at work, we start to import rest a little bit. Let me just take a break, check Facebook. Let me take a break, do a Sudoku on my phone. Let me take a break and, and do whatever it is. Or work invades our rest. So we're at home, but man, that email box starts filling up. And if I could chip away at it this afternoon, maybe tomorrow won't be so bad, right? But when the lines between work and rest get blurred, we're not really doing either. 
And sometimes we're distracted by our own design, and, and sometimes we're distracted by other people. We're perpetually interruptible, right? We're always at reach. Studies show that when that little buzz goes off in your pocket that says you have a text message or you, know, you have an email, that the, the rush of endorphins and chemicals that, that start firing through your brain is about the same as cocaine, like, it's that hard not to look at it, right? Have you ever, you've all been in a conversation with someone and the phone buzzes in your pocket and all of a sudden it doesn't matter who you're talking to, you have to know what's going on right here. We really want this though because our digital distraction keeps us from spiritual reflection, from any kind of deep reflection really. Peter Kreeft, a modern Catholic philosopher said, we think we want peace and silence and freedom and leisure, but deep down we know that this would be unendurable to us. We want to complexify our lives. We don't have to, we want to. <clears throat> we want to be harried and hassled and busy. Unconsciously, we want the very thing we complain about. For if we had leisure, we would look at ourselves and listen to our hearts and see the great gaping hole in our hearts and be terrified. Again, this is not new. Peter Kreef's a modern philosopher, but Blaise Pascal, who died in 1662, said, I've discovered that all the unhappiness of men arises from one single fact, that they cannot stay quietly in their own room. It doesn't take technology to distract us. I mean, how many of us, when we start to pray, find our minds wandering, like, immediately? How many of us, when we sit down and read our Bible, get to the end of a chapter or end of a, a psalm and realize that, while we've looked at every single word, we haven't read any of it. It's a spiritual issue. It's a heart issue. And again, that, that temptation that Satan gives, that you can be like God. In this case, the temptation, you can be like God. You can be omnipotent. You can do anything and everything. God is the one who can do anything and everything. He's infinite in power and ability and creativity. But we, in the way that we use technology in relation to our work and rest, reveal that we believe that lie, that we can do it too, right? I can keep everyone happy with me by responding to text messages quickly, by responding to emails quickly. Uh, I, I can be competent at everything. I can research all I want and know enough to be able to fix that broken toilet or install that garage door opener or remodel my kitchen. Like I, I can just watch a couple YouTube instructional videos and I can do it. I can do it. I can work. I can rest. I can keep up with popular culture. can keep up with media and new music and television. Our distractions remind us of all those things that we think we need to do. Because we want to be able to do everything, we give in to distractions quickly and unquestioningly. And it's like we're running around playing whack-a-mole with our lives. You know, this text message pops up. I got that. This email comes. I, I can respond to that. New season of my favorite TV show just came out on Netflix. I can watch that. You can't do it all. So what does it look like to walk in wisdom in light of this? Well, the first step in walking in wisdom in any area this morning is repentance. Because our addiction to distraction reveals our desire to be like God. It reveals our pride. And so the first step in any kind of change is repentance. Confession that we're proud, that we take on too much, that we find too much significance in how much we're able to do, and asking for forgiveness. So repentance is the first step, but here's the second. Uh, in Luke, uh, he records a story of Jesus who spends some time at two sisters' house, two sisters' house, uh, and uh, one of them is working very, very hard to make sure that Jesus is comfortable, and one is sitting at Jesus' feet. And Martha, the one who's working very, very hard, starts 
to get frustrated at her sister and eventually frustrated at Jesus. And she comes in. Um, I, always, I think they live in one-room houses, but I always picture her coming into the living room. Um, she comes into the living room and like, basically yells at Jesus, like, Master, don't you care that my sister isn't helping me? Tell her to get up, get off her butt, and come help me. And Jesus looks at Martha and says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. What we need, what we desperately need, is to sit undistracted at the feet of Jesus. That's the one thing necessary. It doesn't mean that there's never time for work, for play, for rest, for relating to friends. I mean, again, we're commanded to work and to rest. But managing distractions in the rest of our lives will train us to sit undistracted at Jesus' feet. And will actually help us to get stuff done so that we have the space and time to do that. What are some ways that we can do this? Um, this is where a sermon takes a really weird turn into like practical considerations and stuff to do technology-wise. Um, because why is every retreat or mission trip that you've ever been on a spiritual mountaintop experience, right? Like, I've never been on a bad retreat. Like, I always come back energized and ready to really live out the Christian life. It's because I finally get away from distractions and demands of my normal life. I finally get out of cell phone range, and I'm paying attention to what God is doing. And he's always doing something. We just usually are distracted from it. So how can we bring that retreat, mission, trip, attentiveness into our day-to-day. A very practical thing, disable push notifications. Push notifications are anything that make your cell phone buzz. And and my cell phone is set up, I got this advice a couple years ago, my my phone is set up so that the only time it buzzes is when a real, live person is reaching out to me. A text message or a phone call. That's it. Weather.com does not have access to my phone to tell me when a thunderstorm is coming. Every day at 5 o'clock, okay? It's summertime. Um, Facebook does not have access to my phone to tell me, hey, somebody just liked your post on Facebook. My news app does not have access to say, did you hear what's going on in random country? The only way that my attention is drawn to my phone is by real live people. It'd be a great way to manage distractions. Uh, another way, schedule airplane mode. There's this little button on your phone that looks like an airplane, and if you push it, it basically turns it not into a phone. Uh, turn, you can still use your apps, you can still get to your Bible, you can still uh, use other software on your phone, but people can't call, people can't text, people can't reach you. Um, turn on airplane mode when you sit down for a devotional. Because how, you know, how distracting is to say, all right, I've got 30 minutes for this, my friend calls right at the beginning. Or I get a text message and then I'm checking up on them. Uh, schedule airplane mode time with your phone and be patient with one another when they don't respond on your timeline. The immediacy of texting makes us really impatient with one another because I know how easy it is for me to answer a text and I'm assuming it's as easy for you to answer a text, so why haven't you answered the text? Are you mad at me? Are you frustrated? Did you lose your phone? Are you okay? Are you hurt? Like this is the psychology that goes on. Just take a breath. Give people patience. Let them respond to you in their time. All right, that's number one. God's will that we work and rest uh, reveals our desire uh, to be able to do all things like God does. Number two, uh, God's will is that we love one another, right? This is the, the second commandment, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. 
In Philippians 2, Paul starts off talking about the unity that they know and experience in the body of Christ. And he says very quickly, so look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. How does our use of technology help or hinder our loving one another? Uh, It certainly helps us. I have a roommate, uh, a former roommate that I lived with in college, um, not my wife that I'm talking about, um, I, I, a roommate that I lived with in college, uh, he lives in Fredericksburg, Virginia, and they're ba- about to have a baby. Um, I will find out about that baby and get pictures of that baby within four hours of its birth um, because of technology, not because they're going to drive to my house and say, here, look at our baby. Um, they're going to text me a picture of it. Um, we're... Woody, right? Where did he, he? He's coming back second service. He said he got to talk to people in Peru every single day. Like that's technology. It helps him to love other people. We get to celebrate births, weddings, graduations, and hear about them through texting, through social media, and, and to celebrate and genuinely rejoice with our friends and family, even miles and miles away. FaceTime is a great way that technology helps me love people. We FaceTime my grandparents every once in a while, and. Every, every time I do it, I have to tell my grandpa, Grandpa, the video camera's on. I don't want to see the inside of your ear canal. And he takes the phone away from here and, and holds it in front of him. But it's great because like, he gets to see my kids and we get to see him and hear how, we're, how they're doing. Um, it's great. Technology is awesome for helping us love and stay connected with the people that we love. Um, technology helps us by letting us text a Bible verse to a friend who we know needs encouragement. Uh, We can use our calendars to schedule time with friends. But technology also hinders us, right? Uh, Because one of our great temptations is to use other people to validate ourselves. And this is really easy in an age where social media exists because now I can put a number on whether or not you validate me. This post got X number of likes, X number of comments, X number of shares or favorites or whatever else the technology is. Like, I'm well-versed in Facebook and kind of okay in Instagram, but my students are on the next level. When, and it's a, a different language. But all of it is driven by, am I okay? Do you love me? It is, is what I'm doing, is what, the image that I'm putting out to the world, is it acceptable? Is it okay? Is it, is it liked? Am I loved? And we can use other people to validate ourselves. Another way it hinders us in seeking to be digitally everywhere and, and pay attention to and know what's going on with so many people we, we are rarely physically all in. You could be sitting with a friend, um, and that, again, that buzz goes off in your pocket, and all of a sudden, you're not with your friend anymore. It's like they've disappeared. College students uh, have this, uh, this psychological thing uh, called FOMO, F-O-M-O, and it stands for fear of missing out. You'd be having a great experience somewhere, but what if I'm missing this other thing? And what if I log on to social media later that night and see that all of my friends were at this other thing and and nobody told me and it looked like they had a great time. Of course it looks like they had a great time if they posted on social media. Nobody's going to post pictures of bad times on social media. But this condition, this fear of missing out, leads them to less enjoyment of what they're actually doing, less presence in what they're actually doing. Again, this is a spiritual issue. Technology doesn't create these issues. It just exacerbates what's already present in our heart. Because we don't need technology to use other people to validate ourselves, right? 
We don't need technology to be distracted with other people. We don't need technology to get into conflict. I didn't even talk about the ways that, that technology and the anonymity of the internet allows us just to be hateful to other people. We don't need technology to do that. The, the temptation that Satan gives, that the you can be like God through this aspect of technology is omnipresence. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's a spirit, not bound by space or time. He's always present, always knowing, always seeing. And this is a great encouragement to us as believers, right? Whatever is going on in your life, God knows. God sees and he cares. It's a great encouragement to our holiness as well, right? Because IP blockers and incognito mode and whatever else it is, like God still sees. God still knows. So it's a great encouragement to our holiness. But we, because of our use of technology, can start to think that we're omnipresent as well, right? I can know what's going on with my friends and family from high school, college, the summer camp that I worked at, that mission trip that I went on 12 years ago, and for some reason, they're still my friends on Facebook. Like, I can know what's going on in the world through news. But the problem is, again, when we seek to be digitally omnipresent, we fail to be mentally present anywhere, We weren't created as just souls or minds that happened to be tethered to a body. We're integrated as body and soul, and we're most present when both of those things are in the same place, right? When our our soul and mind is is with our body, physically with the people that we're with, uh, but also, like, at death, our souls and bodies are separated, and our, our souls go to heaven to be with Christ, and that's great, but there's something better coming when, when God makes the new heavens and new earths, and our souls and our bodies are reunited, and they're both perfected forever. That's the ideal state for mankind, but we, we disintegrate ourselves so often when we seek to be digitally omnipresent. So what does it look like to walk in wisdom? Well, again, repentance is the first step. Our desire to be everywhere at once, to be connected to as many people as possible, reveals our desire to be like God. So the first step is repentance. Confession that we're trying to be like God and in so doing, really failing to love one another. Repentance means asking for forgiveness and asking for help in changing. In 2 John 12, John's writing a letter uh, to a church that he really, really loves and he has a lot to say to them. Uh, But 2 John verse 12, he says, Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face that our joy may be complete. In John's day, paper and ink was text messaging. It was the fastest method of communication. And he says, I, I could do this. I could write a whole letter. I could send you a bunch of text messages. I could, you know, I could compose a good email and get it to you like that. But I would rather be with you. A practical consideration for us in this area is seek ways to be both physically present and mentally present when we're with people. It means sometimes leaving a phone in your car. For me, when I meet with a student, it means that I put my phone face down on the table because I, I get to model that, hey, this is here, but you're here and I'm looking at you. And if my phone does go crazy with a phone call, I can look and if it's my wife, I'll answer. So I get to model you know, spousal affection and love uh, as well. But they know that I'm not looking at my phone under the table. They know that I'm not scrolling through Facebook or Instagram, that I'm present with them. Uh, I had some students uh, that I knew who played a game whenever they went out to eat. They put a basket in the middle of the table, and at the beginning of the meal, everybody took out their cell phone and put it in the basket. And the first person to take their phone out of the basket had to pay for everybody else. 
and works really well because college students are poor and they can eat. And so, like, just find a way like that to, to take the distraction away and to be present with people. All right, that's number two. Number three, God's will for your life is that you grow in holiness. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, one of my favorite verses because students so, ask me, so often ask me, how can I figure out God's will of your life? And I'm like, we'll turn to 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3. This is the will of God, your sanctification. They're like, that's not that helpful. It's like, well, it's the Bible. Um, God's will is that you grow in holiness. God's will is that you look more and more like Christ. And our technology can help do this. I hope that you have a Bible on your phone or on your computer or on whatever device that you use. We can follow preachers, teachers on, on Twitter, watch sermons, listen to sermons. Even if we're not in church on Sunday morning, we can listen to great preachers who live states and countries away. We can listen to Christian music or the Bible while we exercise, while we work in the house, while we work in the yard. Um, We can have reminders in our phones and notes about who to pray for, what to pray, on and on. But technology often hinders us as well, right? We get entangled in secret sins. Uh, One author said, anonymity is where sin flourishes and anonymity is the most pervasive lie of the digital age. There are a lot of sins that we don't commit when other people are watching, right? We don't steal from our roommates if they're in the room with us. We don't lie to someone if there's someone else there who can call us on it immediately, right? But the lie of our digital age is that we're always anonymous. We're always, nobody's watching. So we get entangled in secret sins. Another way that this hinders us is that we crave immediate approval. Um, Amazon can get just about anything to my house in two days. That's awesome. Um, but it is not good for my soul, right? So I ordered uh, a stand-up desk earlier this week. I uh, ordered it on Tuesday. Uh, it's one of those desks that has the motorized legs that go up and down so that I can like, not sit down all day long. Um, I ordered it on Tuesday. It shipped on Wednesday. And before it arrived on Friday, I probably checked its status about 20 times. Where is it? What city is it in? Is, is, is it here yet? Is, is my new desk here? Because then I'll really be able to work. I'll really be able to get stuff done. I, I crave that immediate approval and gratification. We crave easy answers, right? Do you have a question? Type it into Google. Do you need to know how to fix something? There's a YouTube instructional video that will show you how to fix just about anything in your world. But here's the problem. The Christian life is not a quick thing, right? It's a long obedience in the same direction, And our questions don't always have easy answers, right? God, why did this happen is not something you can Google. It's not something that gives an immediate answer. We often don't understand until years, decades down the road. Again, it's a spiritual issue. The problem is not with our phones or our technology, but with our hearts. Because it doesn't take technology for us to get entangled in secret sins. It doesn't take Google or two-day shipping to make us impatient with the slow ways that God works. And again, the the temptation, the the lies that you can be like God, you can be omniscient. You can know everything. Technology gives you access to amazing amount of data. And we seek to either be like God in knowing all things, or we seek to convince ourselves that he doesn't see. Right, Our, our use of technology 
reveals that we want to be like God and know everything, or that we hate that aspect of God that we can't hide from him. So again, walking in wisdom first means repentance. Our desire and demand that all of our questions be answered, our wish that the Christian life would go so much quicker and and according to our timeline, reveals that we want to be God. And so the first step in any change is repentance. Confess your jealousy of God's omnipotence or your hatred of it. Ask for forgiveness and ask for help to change. Uh, in Second Peter, if you have a Bible, turn here uh, quickly. In Second Peter chapter 1, uh, he's writing to a group of persecuted Christians. Um, and he writes this to them, uh, starting in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5. It says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So, this aspect of our lives, that that we can know so much. A lot of times it's a problem because my approach to life is often, like if I know what's coming, I, can, I might not be able to change it, but I can at least prepare for it, right? If I know the future, I'll be okay. Or the question, when will this struggle end? Our, our, our questions are often future-oriented and we look for confidence in the Christian life by trying harder, by working at it, by, by knowing more, But Peter says, what he says in chapter 1 is, here are all these things that I want you to put on. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, love. And if they're yours and increasing, they'll keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you want to be effective and fruitful in the knowledge of God? Yes. Do you want to have virtue and brotherly love and affection and steadfastness? Yes, of course. And in verse 9, he says, Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Peter says if we lack all of those qualities, it's not because we're not trying hard enough. It's not because we don't know enough. It's not because we're uncertain of the future. It's because we've forgotten something that happened in the past. We've forgotten that we were cleansed by the blood of Christ. And technology and our attentiveness and and obsession with the new and the immediate gives us great difficulty to remember what Christ has done. We've forgotten that we were cleansed by the blood of Christ. So the secret sins that we cling to, covered by the blood of Christ. The demands that we make of God, covered by the blood of Christ. The ways that we failed to love others, covered by the blood of Christ. Our addiction to distraction, covered by the blood of Christ. Our failure to honor him in work and in rest, covered by the blood of Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, all things are helpful, but I will not be dominated by anything. But in a follow-up letter to the Corinthians, he says this, the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this that one has died for all and therefore all have died and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their their sake died 
and was raised. My prayer for myself, for my students, for you guys, is that you would not be controlled by your technology, that you'd feel the freedom to put your phone away, to turn the television off, to turn off the radio, to do things the long way sometimes instead of the convenience of technology. That we would not be controlled by that, but that we would be controlled by the blood of Christ, by the love of Christ. That's what Paul says, the love of, of Christ controls us. Other places, other translations say compels us. And, and it's the same thing as being dominated, right? But, but compels I'm a part of. If I'm dominated by something, my will is violated. If I'm compelled to do something, it means I'm so drawn to this that I can't help but say yes to it. That's what Paul says is to control us, is to compel us, the love of Christ. So let us use our technology, but not be used by it. Let us love other people and use technology to help us do that. Let us love God and use technology to help us do that, recognizing that through his common grace, he gives us wonderful manifold gifts that are for us and for our good. And let us worship God and not the gifts that he gives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we again thank you for your common grace and, and the technology that we have and, and the things that we're able to use and do and remember um, the ways that we're able to communicate with so many people so quickly uh, the ways that we're able to carry your word in our pocket, uh, to listen to preachers whenever we want to. Father, yet we recognize the temptation uh, to be like God, to seek to be omnipresent, to seek to be omnicompetent, to seek to know all things. Father, help us, forgive us for the ways that we have abused technology. Help us to use it well, to use it rightly, to use it under being compelled by the love of Christ. Do this, we pray, for we ask it in his name. Amen.